I am Kevin. I am Giovanna. I am adventurous. I am dreamer. I am creative. I am wine. I am dance. I am entrepreneur. I am musician. I am privileged. I am activist. I I am am podcast. Learning. Growing. Inspiring. Hello and welcome to the I Am Podcast. We are so incredibly excited today to have Morgan Clayton, CEO and creator of Teltech Security out of Bakersfield, California, a man who has defied all odds and really just opened up wide the, his industry and his, and his community, continues to give back to the community, growing the community. And it's just such a pleasure to have him here, his wealth of knowledge, and um, we are so excited. Welcome, Mr. Clayton. Welcome. Thank you both for having me here today. I'm excited to engage and to inject and give people something. Hopefully, it'll make them feel better, do better, and be successful. So let's yes. roll. Let's roll. We're excited, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna we are, uh, we're seeing such interesting times right now, and we really want to talk to you about starting a business, starting up a small business in a pandemic. You see a lot of people sort of being motivated to do something. Now people have time to really focus on their passions, being at home with this pandemic. And we would love to just sort of hear your advice on uh, starting up a small business. We have a couple questions here. And define your passion of what you love doing and do people need it? So how does that relate to starting up a small business? You know, I can tell you, you know, when you sit back and you look at these uh, unprecedented pandemic times, one of the things that it did very positively was it forced us all to stop. And not only did it stop, but it stopped our behavior for whatever we were doing. If you were used to going partying, it stopped. If you were used to going to the bar, it stopped. If you were used to going to church, it stopped. And so when you got that moment of bliss, the thing that it does to me, it makes you sit down and say, okay, what is it that I really love doing? Because if you sit and do nothing, nothing will happen. So for me, I took the, the, the epidemic time to say, when I look at starting a small business, to me, it's looking at what is it that when you get up in the morning and that which you do, you really, really enjoy doing it, whatever it is. And I am not one subject to define that for people, but to say, put it out there and think about what that is. And then ask yourself this, if you really think about air and music those things are so connected and defined that they change the mood of behavior of people every day so for me it was what is it that when i look at what i do i love people but more importantly than loving them i want to see them safe i want to see them able to enjoy the prosperity of the soul of being able to be who they want to be and so therefore security became my became my love it became my person that i would talk to in that quiet time it was the physical framework is spiritual it was really just saying what does security look like and how do i deliver it and then here's the question that you ask and that is love doing it but then here's the key do people need it ask yourself this question and it's self-explanatory do people need some level of security? The answer is yes. So the question is, in that huge dynamic box, what is it can I do to get people to buy it all the time? 
every time from me. And that's where ultimately Teltech was created because there's a need, there's a passion for security. And believe it or not, in March, it'll only be almost be close to 40 years wow. doing this and it hasn't changed. People still have a stronger demand. It just looks different. So in summary, look at what you really love doing, defining what that is, and then asking yourself and asking people, do they have a need for it every day? And if they don't, you have to realize it's trendy, right? It's a trend. And if it's, if it's a trend, that's okay. But just realize trends are short term and you have to have a lot of them. Clothes are trendy. Winter, summer, spring, you get it. You have to have different things for different times. But security is consistent. No matter what weather, what time, it's the same all the way through the wind. So the passion. So that's, that's, that's how I answer that. Awesome. And um, so as you're, as you're going on, you gave us some really great pointers here to sort of, sort yes. of talk to our listeners and see, you know, what are, what are some of the key points of being able to start a business? What is your goal and purpose for your business? Does it solve problems and is it affordable? So how does that relate to somebody that's starting this? How it relates is I see so many of my friends and people I care about respond to starting a business out of fear. They just lose their job or they just get they just graduate from a university and they've got all this talent, all this all this information, this wonderful piece of, of, of sheepskin that tells them that they're valued. But then when they translate that into a receivable, nobody wants it. And they they go, whoa, what is up with this? And what happened was they didn't really define the affordability of it. And so I basically went and said the purpose of a business is really designed to solve problems and to do something for someone. And so what you need to ask yourself is, is it doing that? See, a diploma doesn't solve anyone's problems. It certainly solves yours. It gives you a reward. But that that stops after that. Uh, and when you are, in my case, um, very young, having parents and not knowing the winds of time would take both of my parents over time, and first a divorce and then death and then the whole idea of just being separated and then being homeless for a while and then having to raise children uh, in a non-norm way, right? You, you soon start to realize that you really have to find out what people need and want. And I found out from both perspectives, and I'll give this to you from a street perspective and you'll laugh maybe a little bit and you'll get it. If you are homeless and you are an alcoholic, the liquor store is your friend <laughs> because that's where you're going to get your fix. But the one thing that happens is your trademark is begging and panhandling. You're going around and asking people for the coins that they have and the things that they have to receive what you need to go do an exchange. So a liquor store is needed in an alcoholic community to do exchanges to make profit. It's a sad thing to say, but that's what it is. It's an exchange. But for those of us that can control our ability to drink and just do social drinking or do wine tasting, now it's really moved to be something that's more norm, relaxing. It's more acceptable because now you can move into parties and events. So you have to watch both extremes. But when you look at it, you really have to ask yourself, what does it allow you to do long term? So... When I look at what the goal and the purpose of the business is for, here's the key. I look at the behavior. 
What is the behavior that's driving what it is that you do? For me, insecurity is peace of mind. So look at a mother and she's got her child and my security system kind of wraps a warm blanket around her. I'm feeling good. I feel really good about that. Or a husband is out working his tail off and his wife and child are at home or just his favorite or her favorite thing at home is secured. I'm feeling good. So for me, it's just knowing both dynamics because see, when I go back to the person who's the alcoholic person, I don't judge. I simply say, how can I help? And the, the, the person with the liquor store isn't making the person buy anything. They're just there to create the atmosphere so the person who wants a good bottle of wine to go and relax after a hard day's work, here's, where we, here's the exchange. But also, unfortunately, we have the poor and the underserved who have these habits, and it's there to serve them because they're all, it's a free country. And so you have to really understand the balance of it and focus on what it is that you're driving that's facilitating the need, the want, and the use. So that's the whole purpose of a business is to define the behavior within it. Because once you do that, you will find you will succeed. 90% of the people fail because they don't understand the behavior behind what they're doing. They only define the cost. They only just, they define the energy. They define what it is they're doing, but they don't know the behavior behind it. And that you can see that every day. So that's how I would address number two is really being able to go into the passion of what you love doing, understand the behavior behind it, and then align it with the needs and wants of people based on the classification of people you're serving. Whether it's shoes, shirts, wine, security, just, you know, affordable, not, you know, basic low cost, high cost, whatever it is, and go for it and enjoy it. Really know your audience. So I'm really excited to talk about just the plan because so often I have to say, I mean, even myself and, you know, we've started a business and you, you start and you, you hit the ground running. You're so excited about it. You've got all your, you know, whether you're selling something and you're like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make it. And then you, you sort of hit a wall, not realizing you, we, we planned for the first month and the launch, but then what happens down the road? Can we talk a little bit about the adaptation, the mobilization, organization, all of the things to sort of maintain that that energy and that cash flow primarily, right? We're not doing the business just because yeah. we love it, because yeah. we're trying to pay some bills. <laughs> <laughs> and these are things people don't really think about or want to do because it's it's daunting, you know, to start a business plan. Like I know when I started my business, I was like, ugh, business plan, what is this? So <laughs> talk to us about that. Yeah, basically the way that I try to, to really roll out the plan is, and I, I totally agree with you guys, it is so funny to have all this energy, get excited, and all of a sudden when you have this energy and excitement, you find out people say, well, what's your financial plan? What's your vision? What's your process? And you get real distracted with the things that, okay, what's the framework? So I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. The framework of putting a business together is really being able to, first of all, adapt. And what that adapting simply means is asking yourself, if I'm going to take this trip, and both of you are taking a trip with me, we got to do a check-in, okay? Who's checked the car? Who's checked the fuel? Do you guys have the right luggage? Is everybody ready to go? Okay, now that we're all in the car, we're all excited, we're all got a drink in our hand, and somebody says, okay, how do we get there? And I go, okay, who's got the map? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, where where are we going? 
who's driving? That's the part I'm talking about. It's that part where, but I will tell you, uh, this is the funniest thing. My wife and I were going to go to Las Vegas one time, but I'll never forget this. I laughed so hard. And we were not getting along in the car. I mean, it was like, okay, draw down the wall. I'm quiet. And the question is, coming from L.A., where you guys were, Giovanna, going to Nevada, where I had to go to a security conference and speak, did I take the right freeway? I wasn't listening to her because she kept telling me you're on the wrong freeway. I said, no, exactly where I'm going. She says, I don't think so. And she said, fine, let's just go. Well, three hours later, I look up. I am way out of nowhere. I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> and I look and I'm saying, oh, my God. That was rather than a five-hour drive, eight hours. What that taught me about 25, 30 years ago was you have to stop and here's what the content looks like. The framework is you have to have an accountability partner. You really have to have someone that says, okay, if you're going to start a business plan, emotion is out of it, period. Mm-hmm. It's out. We, okay, we have it, but it's out of the conversation. The next thing is everybody who wants a piece of us, it's out of it. Brother, sister, cousin, uncle, everybody who's Oh, give me some of that, girl. I want to be there. That's out. Here's where it goes down. We need to focus in on what matters and what we can control. So the beginning question is, if we're going to take this journey, how much cash do we have? And have we put down on paper what that framework looks like so we know we have enough cash or we need to go ask for more cash? So have the cash on hand, but here's the key thing, times three. Mm. The cash for what you need to do times three because it is unreasonable to say that you're gonna start a business and everything's gonna be perfect. That's not, never perfect. You know, flats happen, we're out of gas, we get sick, things happen. So I always tell people, if we need $100, let's collect 300, that way we're safe. And if we get to the end of the trip and use only 100, boom, we're good. Yeah. But all of a sudden, we get halfway there. We have a flat. Something happens. We need $50 for this, $75 for that. Oh, this trip costs us $275. Bucks. We got $25 left, but we made it. Right. So that's what happens with small business people. They don't do enough, quote, financial planning to understand the distance. And I don't mean the distance of building something or putting something together. I'm talking the distance of what does contingency look like. The bigger the business, the bigger the contingency. I know major companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars that are almost going under because they didn't have, they they didn't plan that, mm-hmm. and they're living off credit that they get from get from banks. But the banks say, "Oh, no more credit for you. You got to go start cutting the tree and trimming it, so we can make sure you, you know what you're still doing." So, the framework of the question is when you put a plan together. You want to make sure that you adapt, mobilize, organize, execute short and long-term contingencies for whatever it may be. Don't overplan, but don't underplan. And most people underplan. They over-emotionalize. Mm, yeah. So that's the thing that's important. Now, um, talk to us about cultivating the right team for your business. I think this is truly so important to have people on your team that understand your vision. So talk to us about how you built your team. 
Okay, so here we go. When we start talking about right person, right place, right thing, here's what happens. People get really excited about wanting to help, especially friends. They want to give you their time, their money, their resources. They want to see you be successful. But what they forget is if I say to you, this is my vision, and my vision is to go from Bakersfield to L.A. That's my vision. That's where I want to go. I, I want to build that vision and I want to make sure everybody understands. So here comes my friends and they say, Hey, I hear you're going to LA. Yes, I plan on it. That's my vision. That's what I want to do. And they say, can we go? And we say, I say, sure, I'm going to LA. Well, okay. Keep my LA is huge, right? It's huge. <laughs> and so I, we get into this vision of going to LA. I'm just going to take the 405 and just drive straight in from the I-5 because it's safe, it's what I like, and I just, that's just my habit. So here comes my friend saying, hey, you know, if you go by the 210 and do this, you could probably get there quicker because there's a lot of traffic. I go, but I don't want to do that. This is what I want to do. And then they start giving you this input, which, which turns into frustration, which turns into changing the vision. So a lot of times people will say, okay, screw it. I'll just go and get on the 210 because I don't want to hear this. So you get on the 210, you're still going to LA, but that's not your vision. And what you do, you find yourself changing in the middle of the stream. So this high idea about finding talent, going back to behavior, is really asking people, it's like when I started Teltech. One of the things that I, that I was at, what, what was imperative for me was I said, uh, if you had to go on a trip and this trip was life-changing and you were working for me and you had an 80-year-old woman call you about 30 minutes before you had to go and she had a power failure and needed a battery and she needed you to deliver that, would you do it? Oh, wow. <laughs> And so, I know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I know it's a really good question. I like about that one. Eighty <laughs> percent of the people will say, "You know what? I'll find somebody to take a battery to the lady. I'm not missing my life changing trip." Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I say, "Thank you for coming by, but you're not the person I'm looking for." Oh. See, Morgan, my children can contest this. My wife will contest this. If somebody calls me, and there is a true need where they really need me. I'm going to go help them mm -hmm. because everything else that matters that I can control. And you get this in a sense when I say control, I can control my family, not power them. I can control the time. Okay. We're going to be late getting to LA, but we, it, but we're controlling the time of the trip. Um, now if we got to go to Hawaii. That may be a different thing, but at the same time, we got to, you talk through it. You want to make sure that you're in alignment, Right. And part of that communication is having people who, and I'll summarize it so that we don't take a lot of time to say it. I want a person who, here's my vision, so they're in the right seat. I've chosen the right person doing the right thing at the right time. That is what I meant when I say adapt, mobilize, organize, and execute. That's having the right person to do that. It would be, Jovan would be like this. You're, paying, you're playing the cello, and you tell a person that you want them to chime in on a certain key at a certain time for a certain uh, rhythm. 
I'm being hypothetical because, you know, I don't have a tone in my head. <laughs> but, but the point being, your ear and your, your sense of music is so good that if they're not on point, you're going to know. Absolutely. But, so you stop them and say, that's not my vision. You got to do a little bit more of this. But if the person says, you know, really, I mean, is, that's good enough for the public. And you look at them and say, no, we're going to do this over because we want it to be right. right. And the person says, well, no, I don't think so. I don't have to tell you what decision you'd make at that point, but you'd be very frustrated to find that they didn't follow you all the way through to the experience. So having the right person in the right place doing the right thing means you're open to change, but you're connected to the vision. And this is what happens, I think, uh, going back to the clothing business, and you're looking at trying to find people who understand the vision. So you take this, this, this framework of a, a design that you go, wow, this is powerful. A hundred people say they love it. You go in and say, hey, I really want to produce a hundred of these because they have a hundred people that want them. And the person says, well, yeah, but if you got to change the way that looks in order to make it more market effective. Well, pretty soon when they start changing all these visions, it's no longer you. It's somebody else. You can become commoditized. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that I'm saying. Finding the right person is very, very difficult. But that's why I've been very successful here at Teltec. People here understand what I want. And this is what it is. I don't care how big this organization gets. If that 80-year-old lady calls and she needs that battery at 3 o'clock in the morning, you better take that battery to her. Yeah. <laughs> or get so the in a sense, Yeah, I mean, really, and I think probably everybody's in, you know, individual. They've got to understand their parameters, right? What is it that what is it that's going to continue? Like you said, like for you, just that accountability of hey, and it, in a way, it really speaks to customer service, which I think is well, another big piece. Well, customer service is truly there, but I'll, I'll change it because you'll understand this because you guys are in this in this zone. It's the customer experience. Absolutely. See, see here's the customer experience, and, and let's take it to write what you're saying, because you're right on point. The customer service, customer experience says, customer A wants a battery. Well, Morgan is the kind of person, he's atypical, he wants you to take it, but really isn't the goal just to get the lady the battery? So let's make sure that we get the lady the battery and make sure we communicate to Morgan how we got the battery there, and he's gonna be fine. He just wants the lady to get the battery, but because he's so anal retentive, he just wants that personalized service, but sometimes it just can't be done that way. But mm-hmm. he'll understand. The lady got the battery. Margaret called back and says, I am so happy. I love Teltech. That's what we want is that experience. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, um, I'll take the next thing. I think that feeds right into the next question that, that you brought. As you build your business and, uh, you know, you're just starting out, the thing that you're trying to do is differentiate yourself and, and stand out amongst the competition that's out there is, it, is exceeding the customer's expectation to make them want to come back. How in the world do you uh, sit in a vantage point? How do, you, how do you do that? Yeah, this is the magic. You get them in there, but how do you keep them coming <laughs> How do you back? keep them? <laughs> you know, I think customer retention is the hardest thing that any company ever does because we are so selfish with me first. We don't want to stand in line. We don't want to be waiting. So 
uh, Kevin, I think that the answer that I use all the time is this. Ask the question. When you are involved in an exchange or a transaction, and you'll, you know, Nordstrom is really good, good about this or others, and that is, if I give you what you want, when you want it, on time, at a price that you can afford, you're happy. But then you open the box and go, oh, my God, this is not what I wanted. There are two things that happens. The owner becomes what I call the dollar, the dollar store corporate, which is you bought it, you got it, you're going to keep it, and I'm not taking it back. You know, you took the risk, let the buyer beware. So what that becomes is a transaction. Yeah, you win a dollar, but you'll never get the customer back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or there's the one that Nordstrom uses that says, oh, we are so sorry that you didn't like that product, but we know we have something that you will like. Put that in a box, ship it right back, and we'll ship you something right back out at our expense. At, at our expense. But if you'll magically notice sometimes when they send you something back out, it's a higher value. <laughs> it's something more expensive or something more attractive to what your taste might be, but maybe not aligned with your cost. So we find that all the time. So the customer experience is trying to exceed the customer's expectation through service. And here's what it is. After you've enjoyed a good glass of wine or a good meal or something that someone's prepared for you and you say, are you happy? And they say, wow, wow, this has been an amazing experience. That's a 10. That is an absolute 10. Just the vocal connection. You can feel it, right? But you've also been in a place where you've been told that the food is a 10, the, 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 the experience is a 10, and you get there and you wonder, am I in the right place? Because management may have changed, personnel may have changed, or it just may have been a bad day. But here's the key. Giovanna, here's the key. It's called check-in. If you don't check in with the customer to verify the experience for whatever you're selling or doing, you'll never know. So for us, every transaction, we, we, we call and ask, are you okay? Now, yes, there are people who take advantage of us where they know I'm not. So we go back and forth to try to figure out what it takes. And you soon realize that's not a customer you want. So you, I call it soft landing. Let them go slowly. Mm -hmm. Bring in the people who will take and excite you and do for you what it is that you want done without overdoing it and wasting a lot of time and money. Okay. It's very important. So the customer experience is derived by asking the question, are you happy? I think that's so important because I don't know of too many companies that take the time to do that. So I can see how that would be really, really effective in keeping your customers. I will never forget the lady that called here one time and shoot one of my employees out. We did a job for her and they called and they didn't call her. And so she called and says, you didn't call me to ask me if I was happy. If Morgan Clayton was there, he would call you. You're going to lose your job because you have, he calls and verifies. Yeah. She's been alive for like almost 20 years. And so we've had several experiences. And I laughed so hard when they came in. They were saying, well, we're, she has, a, she has an, a phone, like a physical phone. Most <laughs> kids don't know what that is now. It was a phone. <laughs> and her cell phone is her backup. She uses her primary phone. They were calling on her cell phone and could get a hold of her. 
So I laugh at some of these things, but here's the key. Just check in, and it doesn't mean having a long conversation. And you'll see right now, I think technology has recognized that. So you'll see after any transaction, I just got like, I just went to like nuts.com and got some nuts, right? All these surveys after a, a bag of nuts. Really? I just want to make sure the nuts are fresh and taste good. But that's the point. I'm, the point is they're reaching out, they're doing it. That's yeah. the key. What are you doing? So let me turn it into a question. So what is your business and starting out going to do to check in with the customer to be sure they're happy? And when they're not, just bring it to you, the owner, and say, this is what we got. What do we do? Very quick. And it works. Yeah. Yeah, we had an experience like that, actually, with an international client. And when we got that sort of, hey, I'm not happy, I'm going to return this, we were a little bit, little shocked. Um, But just conversations with the client led to a really great resolve that made everybody happy that was, you know, very little effort had to be put into it. And it was something easy to do. And so that's just great advice to yeah. To communicate with your customer, don't you know? Yeah, sometimes, and you feel good. It's a yeah, good, yeah good. absolutely. Okay, so is this flowing like you guys want? This good, good stuff. Good? Yeah, this is this is great. great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. As we're going, I'm like, oh my god, I have so many other questions. I was like, <laughs> I keep branch want to branch off, but I want to make sure that we keep it concise and hit all these points. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, so driving margins and profitability. Uh, that's that's one of the, the big things. So now we've got our customers and we're keeping them. How are we uh, how are we really just processing all of this and making sure that our, our workflow now we've got our team like like actually one of the questions that I had as you were as you were talking about the customer experience like do you suggest that people I mean when people are starting a small business it's a small group of people maybe just one maybe two three maybe max. Um, do you assign like these, like, is there somebody that's just handling customer experience or is it better to have just one person that's on one, one particular client, you know, from beginning to end, or does it go through the, a process? Like there's the people that bring in the client then there's the people that follow up with the client. How do you, how do you recommend to build you know, something? Like that? I recommend it by behavior and let me define it this way. And I'll go back to the statement that I gave you at the end of my, my comments where it says, if you don't make your business relevant, you'll miss your opportunity. So now when you start talking about the customer experience that we just came off of, and now you're trying to drive margin and profitability, and then you're trying to define, okay, we got these great customers, but how do I put A with A, B with B to make sure everybody's getting the maximum experience? I hear where you're going. What you have to do is pull your Starbucks team together and they're all baritzas, right? They all are now being taught the language by you of what language you want them to speak about the customer experience. Don't individualize it. Bring your team together that says, look, it doesn't matter whether I'm here by myself or with us all the time, this is how we speak. Because when I hear this, I'm gonna know that it came from one of my people, right? Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. I was working with a group of individuals and they had this concept that they wanted to start a business and they wanted to give away a lot of free stuff. I said, you're insane. They go, what? I said, you're insane for giving away free stuff. I said, listen, if you don't make your business relevant, you're going to miss your opportunity. If the relevancy starts out with, oh, did you know that they give you free stuff and that's all that they remember? They're not going to buy your stuff because you give away free stuff. 
So I tell people, what is the value? The value is everybody puts teasers out there and says free shipping, free something, but it's not connected to the product. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an add, add to. So what you want to be really, really aware of is one, answering your question, Giovanna. Make sure your team is focused on how you want the customer experience done. And it'd be simply this. This is how I try to tell people because it's so one-on-one, it's, it's almost unforgivable. When you finish doing whatever you do, just ask the person, are they happy? On the phone, in person, face-to-face, just ask them. And if they say they're happy, keep going because they're happy. Mm-hmm. But if they say, I really am not happy, stop. Note listen, verify, get with the owner, come back and see if you can change that no to a yes. If you go to Starbucks and you get to the window, Baritza says, oh, how can I help you at the window? Da, da, da. So you give this drink and you taste, you go, oh, this is terrible. I guarantee you they will stop. They'll pull that drink back and they'll say, let's start over again with this because maybe we got it wrong. You see what I'm saying? They took yeah. it out of you and brought it back to themselves. So I think that the customer experience at the beginning with a business starting up is don't give away the very margin that you need to exist, the margin that you need to make the next whatever it is. Because if you don't take the value of what you have and put a margin of profitability on it, why are you doing this for God's sakes? Because mm. I tell my staff here, Everything that we do, no, let me be transparent and be honest. Every transaction doesn't always go well. Sometimes you have to take and give people, drop things off, walk away and make sure to make them happy because things didn't go right on our side. But that's not, that's the exception of the rule. But 90, most of the time, 90% of the time, everything we touch, there is a margin associated with it. There has to be. And when you go to the store, I guarantee you, whether you're buying meat, bread, potatoes, clothing, the margin has to be there or they couldn't sustain. And, and customers understand that, but we like to negotiate. <laughs> and you have to negotiate off on something that's not connected to your profitability. Make sense? Yeah. So, so drive your margin and profitability through efficient workflow processes employee engagement and reward people. And here's a key word I didn't write down, I should have standardization, where the, everybody is speaking the same language. You go to McDonald's, same language. Starbucks, same language. Nordstrom's, same language. You go to any of the supermarkets, same language, right? So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and we're talking a lot about the, the, the customer satisfaction and the customer experience. What about your employee experience? What about the employees sort of keeping, making sure that your employees are, are happy? Do you, do, do you engage with your employees and ask them that same question? Are you happy? Does that reflect at all in, in starting yeah, a business? I did. In fact, we had our employee management meeting this morning. In fact, our leadership meeting where we had all of us on Zoom, I think there's like 20 of us. And during our, let me just tell you what the check-in meeting was. The question at the end, uh, which we have questions at the end all the time. And my question this week was, what is it that you're doing to make yourself better? And we go round robin, the entire company. But when it came back to me, I said, what I'm doing to make myself better is I'm focusing more on my servant leadership to you. 
And my servant leadership to you is asking this question. Am I being respectful? Am I listening? Am I being courteous? Am I rewarding you? And are you happy? And if not, am I listening to you? Tell me that you're not. And we work on it together to make it work. And I'm encouraging all of you as I speak to you today that if you're not happy, please talk to me because I want to listen and know why. Because I want you happy. And my door is open. We finished the meeting and no one came to my office. <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. You me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, That's true my, leadership. Yeah. In yeah. my opinion. So that's what I'm saying. Check in little things. And so what I do are reflection comments that would be like, you know, um, <laughs> Gloria and I are going through this remodel together. It's the most amazing thing in my life because <laughs> I'm a leader and she's a nurturer. And when you get those two dynamics together, it is amazing. They both want the same thing, but the timelines are so different. So what I'm learning is Leading does not necessarily mean problem solving. Leading, sometimes in my case, it means being very humble. Mm -hmm. Just kind of waiting for the nurturing to happen. And I'm learning a lot right now. Um, It took a couple of bricks to figure it out. But what I'm learning is, is that you learn by just waiting to see, like I checked in and said, look, are you happy? I was expecting a yes, yes. And I got no, no. No, no, no. I'm like, oh, my God. And then you said, okay, well, the closest person to you is her. She's the person, you're your life partner. So you go, okay, what do I do? Well, you check in and say, okay, tell me what I need to do differently. And this is so cool. You know what she said? Just leave it alone and let me take care of it. Mm. Because you always like to problem solve. You get it? I lead. I want to solve. She didn't want the problem solved. She just wanted me to have input, but leave it alone. Let me take care of it. Mm. So I've learned to implement a new word, pause, because I'm such a mover on things. And so, but it's just lesson learned. And that's what happens, you know? So that was something personal. So try not to put that out there. <laughs> 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 that was for you. Edit that. <laughs> yeah, we'll edit that. <laughs> I know earlier when you were talking about, I don't remember what about I don't know. I was like, oh, that's not, are we talking business or are we talking marriage? <laughs> There's something you were talking about. <laughs> but, connect, but, you, but you can see the connection. What I'm saying is, oh, my, what I'm saying is my business behavior came into the personal. Right. And I started wanting to problem solve. And I used the same method of checking in on my wife that I use with my employees and it didn't work. So <laughs> I had to set my clock. That's the point I was making to you. Yeah. It doesn't always work. You have to be careful about that. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, well, maybe. Okay, let's do this. Why don't we take and break this into two pieces? Why don't we take and do what I do in my, my meetings when we have good content, but time has run out? Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of reflect on everything that we've talked about. Hit some of the key things that are top of mind with you to give your audience a flavor of what we're feeling. And then we'll come back and set another time to do these other questions so the power is not lost in the conversation. That'd be great. Okay. We really want to talk to you about just your story and the, the, the successes and the challenges that you've faced, as, um, especially right now with the BLM movement. And I feel like you're such a patriarch and such a light for so many people that may be just struggling with the idea of even trying to face everything that's happening. I mean, everything's really coming to the surface. And I feel like your story is just so incredibly powerful and yeah. I feel like we need to share, you know, we need to hear that. I think, you know, the world needs to hear that. 
And the youth needs to hear that because I think you've overcome. So, I mean, I almost tear up thinking about it, the amount of obstacles that you faced well, um, in the environment. And yeah, just, here's, here's probably some good, news, some good information that will help really because I think we're dealing with family, work, and faith a lot of times. When I was, when I was very young coming up, I, and I still, education is the most important thing that we will ever have because education continues always. I believed that a child is born, parents support that child, they encourage that child to adulthood, the child finds a lifelong job based on what they love to do. They get a pension, and there we all are happy. That ain't life. This is what happened to me. Basically, having and having a family early and not being married early and then getting married to the person you really, really love as your partner and realizing that you have to hit the ground running. And I'm very, very... Cable, capable, able, analytical, I guess you could call it. I'm very visionary. But here's what wasn't present in my life. One, back in the early 70s and 80s, I did not have the benefit of uh, student loans and knowing how to get student loans and not realizing that when you go to college, it's not one book, it's many books. And you got to go to the student store and you got all these transactions, but yet you don't have a buck and a half to get on the bus to go do it. And you start going, there's no online. There is no cell phone. It's just a phone. So what happens is it's called, and your parents will say this, and my dad said this when I was in the fourth grade, what are you going to do one day to take care of yourself? I said, well, I guess I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to become a construction worker and do janitorial work. I guess that's what I'm going to do. He goes, well, probably so. I mean, that's the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't realize your parents get divorced. You know, they they break away for whatever reasons it happens. And then you become very much lost. And so what happens, you meet a girl that you really get hot on, but yet what what you're hot about, this is really crazy, is not hot for her. You're hot about this family unit. I mean, father is a fire marshal, mother's in PTA, uh, uh, brothers and studying law and sisters going to school and you're going, man, this is a pretty cool family. And you start hanging around and something really cool happens. You fall in love with her mother because her mother is like really cool. She's like <laughs> cool cookies and food and she's feeding and you start hanging around and her dad was a very silent person but he was a hard worker, right? But he, he did, this is really crazy. He loved cars. He liked working on cars. I was a car freak. So when he would work on a motor, I go, you working on that carburetor? He'd look at me like, you know what that is? I said, yeah. You know what those points in point? Yeah, I know what the points, condenser, all this. I know all this stuff from school, right? So you hook up and you become a family kind of just together. Well, what happens is we got, you get married and you're going. And here's the part you need to hear. You then start working. And this is what you understand. And you can look at the whole thing today where it's talking about this whole inclusion of being different or whether it's a man, woman, race, whatever. The whole point is you, you feel disconnected. You don't feel a part of something. And so when I started working and being a part of a restaurant and learning how to cook and all this, this is really funny. I tell people it wasn't a career, it was survival. 
it was the only job I could get to do what I needed to do to take care of my wife and my son at the time. Well, there, there are two decisions you have to make. And these are, and I tell people, I live with these. I'm very proud of these, but they may not be right in most people's minds. The wife is a nurturer. And I told you that early on, my wife has always been a nurturer. I am a worker who had not learned to be a father. I was a worker. And so I went on and worked. And as your kids start to grow and they start to mature, they start asking these questions like, hey, are you going to go to my baseball game, basketball game? Where are you at in the presence of all this? That's father stuff, right? But yet you're a worker and you're just trying to make things work. So what I realized when I was making 365 bucks a month, that I can't take care of my wife and my son on that. And the rent was $175. So I started going and walking to the library, which was up the street, reading books, getting an understanding of what I could do skill-wise. And what I realized was the vision of becoming an architect was not going to be realized. I was at VHS. All my grades were fine, passed all the tests. But then I realized this one thing. Went to Cal Poly to see what the cost would be to go. And when someone says, oh, it's $20,000 a year, I'm laughing my way. I'm going, what did you just say? I only got two bucks. How are you going to do that? So you just, you walk away from it, right? You go back into what you know. So I started working very hard at the restaurant. And, lo- and this is how I really walk in my faith. I meet this gentleman by the name of Al Haas. He walks in, he's sitting down, big, huge uh, white gentleman. And he's looking at me, he goes, I don't get it. Why are you working here? I said, because I'm trying to survive. I got a wife, I got a kid. I'm trying to make things happen. He goes, but it doesn't make any sense. I said, well, in my world, that's just what it is. And I I started, I just continued washing dishes because I just thought, quite honestly, I thought it was just BS. And I, I, I was moving on. So every day we'd come in the restaurant and I'll, I'll speed this up for the sake of the video. Uh, he one day brought this little <laughs> Radio Shack transistor radio and he goes, can you put this together? I said, dude, you are burning me. I put that thing in front of him, put the batteries in here. Now it works. He looked at me and he said, you did that without instructions. I said, yeah, not a big deal. I mean, it's just radio. And he goes, hmm. So I had been working at the restaurant for about a couple of years and then he came back and he said, you know what? I want to offer you a job. And I go, no, I don't do that. No, you know, I'm, well, in my world, job, I'm thinking, trying to hook up with me. I, no, I'm thinking, hook it up with me. <laughs> so, so, to make a long story short, we became very good friends. And what he offered me was this the company was Van Gas, which is suburban propane. Uh, went to work as the first African American at this company. And I was going to become their security guy. And this is what it was it wasn't a guard, it was alarm stuff. They were looking to implement a marketing plan where they were bringing propane to Tehachapi. And if you bought the propane, they were going to give you a free alarm system. And I was the one that was hired to put those alarms in. So the, I started it. They gave me a truck. I started doing it. But here's the thing. The magic was not the job. The magic was I went from $1.35 an hour to $10 an hour overnight. Can you imagine, can you imagine that? I freaked out. I don't know. You danced home. (laughs) I'm talking about, we went from beans and rice to cornbread. It was like, yes. (laughs) And you can imagine all this hard work. And 
I said, okay, if I work hard, work will happen. Well, my kids are continuing to grow. Gloria and I are continuing to mature out. And I, I, I excelled very quickly at this company, very quickly. But what I realized was the disappointment that performance doesn't always equal reward. Mm. And so when you work hard for someone and you're making them a lot of money, I won't go into all the details, but the rewards weren't there. Yes, I got paid a very good salary. Yes, they, they treat me very well. Even on video, I'll tell you, they're a great company. They just at the end of the company day when they made a bunch of money, millions of dollars, you just didn't get any of it. You just got okay. your salary. So if you made somebody a million dollars and they paid you 50 grand, you're like going, whoa, whoa, what? And so you start judging, right? So Al taught me something and that I really, really thought was really cool. He said, look, did they give you your paycheck? Did they pay your insurance? Did they take care of it? I said, yeah. He said, stop bitching. They did what they said we were going to do. If you don't like the way they're doing what they're doing, you do something different. Hmm. And I went, wow. He's right. They did, ex- I mean, they did everything right. So what I did, I started studying going to the electrical exams and looking at everything. And I realized something interesting one day, he said, why don't you just become your own contractor? I said, I've always wanted to do that. So basically I got with my wife's cousin in Sacramento, studied night and day, went there, aced the exams that they gave me from the state. And that's how I got my license, contracting license. And here's the parallel. So my kids say to me, Dad, why don't you have a college degree? I have to sometimes choke up with them because I said, look, the, the delta for me going to college wasn't possible. I couldn't afford to go. Knowledge was there. The ability was there, but I just couldn't get there, which would be no different than my dad having a fourth grade education. And he couldn't go. This is crazy. My dad went to elementary school, but couldn't go to high school. So the same thing that happened to him happened to me. But the difference was... I went from high school to junior college. I did two years of junior college. That was easy. But that wasn't my goal. My goal was to become independent. And so when I got my license, I then started taking extension courses with UCLA, CIA courses, and passing it. So I have all these credentials that are based on extension courses, which would be the same thing or equivalent to people getting their master's or whatever because I'm capable. But when I got to this point, where I had enough finances, this is what I told my wife. Gloria has her degree, education degree. I said, every one of our kids will get their degree. I will pay for it. And they will not go the way I went because it's impossible to do that again. That was just God given. The goal achieved. Every one of them have their degrees. Every one of them will go to college. Here's the blessing. The gift that I gave to them is they, when they graduated, did not have a dime to pay back. I paid all of it. I paid for their entire education for them. That was the gift. So when they walked out with their sheepskin, they had a zero-based budget. They didn't didn't own anybody. So I'm proud of that. But if I were talking to Maya or to Noah, I would say you have to go to college. You know why? Because the delta or connection of whatever it is you love doing, it will always be about continued education. So when you go to college, don't just don't just go, yes, maybe take music, but take finance, take business, so that when you get into what you love, you're not tricked and advantages and thing and taken advantage of by language that you've never heard before. And that's what grandpa is gonna do to help. So that's the key thing is making sure that they understand education is continual. 
So for example, today in our manager's meeting, I said, strength and weakness test. Tell me what you feel very strong about and good about. And then tell me the one thing that we're going to pay for to make you better. What is that? Is it time management? Is what is it that you feel you need to be a better manager and we will pay for that in 2021 kind of thing. Cool. Something like this. Amazing. Yeah. So the story is, and again, I won't take all the time, but basically what it boils down to this uh, uh, in March will be almost, it'll be our 39th year of business. And uh, basically I will tell you this, and this is true, the truth. I have not had one bad year ever, even in the pandemic. Wow. So God is faithful. I'm good. Um, So maybe just to close up, can you give us just sort of some tidbits of advice in terms of the success of your business? A quick Cliff's Notes for those of you that are, you know, encouraged by this and want to go on and and move your business forward here are sort of the the key um, things to really make sure that you are successful in your journey. Okay, well, here it is, because we'll come back again on the next one. Here's the lessons learned. One, what have I learned from my children who I now have connected so deeply with? They've taught me how to start to have fun. I've never had fun. That's what they don't know, ever. I've always worked. So I watch them and I'm starting to learn how to have fun, meaning to not always want to work because I've always been a worker. That's what they don't sometimes understand. Shifting, that is very hard. The second thing is that reward really is reflective of watching the people that you see working for you in retention. And this year, we will have four to five people retiring that have been over 30 years. So our attrition is very low, which means I think I've done a good job in taking care of my employees. Okay. So that's the thing I want to put out there. Take care of your employees. Uh, do a good job, talk to them. And when things go tough like COVID, just talk with them. Here's the one thing that I promised my staff, you'll love this. When COVID hit Teltech, they came in a big meeting. They said, tell us what you're going to do. I said, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that none of you are going to go home. I need you to work. I'm going to pay every one of you to work. Now, if you have to go home, you want to go home, you can. But I want you to know we're going to fight through this COVID thing. And I can tell you today, no employee here has. They've showed up every day. All of them. Wow. And we're working through it together. So great. Continued education. So I'm excited to hear more follow-up. I mean, it's just one hour. It's really crazy. One hour, 39 years, really. So the yeah. goal is we need more time for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we need a Teltech series. <laughs> yeah, pull out pull out some nuggets. But I really think for me, what I'm really excited about, how did we survive as a family. See, our family, we're, we're still a family. I mean, you guys, were, I mean, we're family, but how do you do that? And the part of it is you got to be able to find worker, father, mother, nurturer. And I've learned a lot about that. There's a difference between being a worker and a father. A father is very hard. I mean, Kevin's taught me that. It's hard because you don't know how to tell the truth of what a father is when you've always worked. And when a person, you tell a person, I've worked for a living to take care of you, but I want you to know that that working was love. It wasn't disconnect. Your mother was the love because I had to go to work. 
And when you're a minority and you don't work, you don't get a second chance when you don't show up. Mm. Oh, you guys get that. So we'll stay tuned. So see yes. you there you go. Yes, perfect. That works. I'll look for it. Yeah. yeah. You guys let me know. Okay, be blessed. Okay, okay. Thank right, you so much for your time. Hope I you guys a nugget. Talk to you soon. Y'all a few. We got All a few. Right. Right. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you so much. All right, you bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Interested in starting your own podcast? Visit us at IamMusicGroup.com.